This episode of Truth's Table is brought to you by Broadleaf Books, whose mission is to inspire transformation in readers and their communities to foster a more open, just, and compassionate world. Broadleaf Books is an imprint of 1517 Media. Learn more at broadleafbooks.com. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm Kemeny. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? I'm doing. You know, we out here. You know, Hunger Games trying to get these vaccinations, you know, trying to do what we need to do. Hello. It really is the Hunger Games show. I didn't put myself on, I don't know, I think about three pre-registration lists at this point. So. Like, anybody, give me something. Johnson and Johnson, what you get it. Give me my vaccine. I'm black. Give me my vaccine. <laughs> that should be enough. Pretty much. Oh. That needs to be the public service announcement. I'm black. Give me my vaccine. Equity, <laughs> Equity in this place. <laughs> anyway. Make sure our grandmothers have their vaccines. Amen. My grandma got hers. My mama did too. Thank Amen. God. Thank God. So I'm just glad they're straight. So that's all that really matters then. So I'm like, okay, fine. So <laughs> anyway, I am so excited about today's episode. Do you know why, yes. I do, because I'm debriefed well before we present, but go ahead, tell me why. <laughs> we have a behind-the-book episode. It's that time in the season for a behind-the-book, because the sisters be writing books, and we be reading and we them, be reading. and we be bringing them to the table. Exactly. And we be reading. We do. We do be reading. So I am so excited, y'all. We are, we have a behind the book episode, and it is uh, we have Dr. Pierce here to talk about her book, In My Grandmother's House. Welcome to the table, Dr. Pierce. How are you? Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I'm excited to be with my sisters. I'm good. Yes. Yes. We are so happy to have you at the table. And I already know I can hear the sisters right now clapping it up. Okay. Uh, so just in case, though, y'all don't know, and maybe you haven't read her book yet, uh, let yeah. me tell you a little something about Dr. Pierce. Okay. Uh, Dr. Yolanda Pierce is the professor and dean of the Howard University School of Divinity. She is a scholar of African-American religious history, womanist theology, race and religion, and an alumna of Princeton University and Cornell University. Pierce served as the founding director of the Center for the Study of African-American Religious Life at the Smithsonian National Museum of African-American History and Culture. A widely published author, Pierce's newest book, In My Grandmother's House, Black Women, Faith, and the Stories We Inherit, was released in February 2021. She is a native New Yorker, mentor, public theologian, community activist, cable news commentator, member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and she's an ordained minister. Follow her on Twitter. Her digital home is at Y and Pierce. Welcome to the table, Dr. Pierce. Thank you both so much for having me. We are so, so excited. Have you? When I saw this book, I was like, "Ooh!" In my grandmother's house. I was like, my grandma was my first theologian. And so I am, but even before we jump into the book, and my grandma is still in the land of the living, and she's still preaching and teaching me theology, okay? <laughs> uh, but before we even get there, can you talk to us just about your own faith journey, how you came to faith? 
Sure. Well, um, as the book title suggests, it had everything to do with my, my grandmother. I was uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. So I always have to represent my New Yorkers everywhere I go, even though I now currently live in Washington, uh, D.C. Uh, raised by my grandparents. My grandparents were amazing and wonderful and um, really just raised me in the faith. We, um, we belong to a small holiness Pentecostal storefront church in Brooklyn. Um, I would later become um, a member of a, a, a Church of God in Christ, a Kojic congregation. And uh, so I look back on my childhood and I am the embodiment of the church girl. Y'all, we went to church on Tuesdays and Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. And that is no exaggeration. And so right, all of my right. life, I have just been surrounded mm-hmm. by some very powerful men and women of the faith. And I very much so still consider myself a Pentecostal. I always try to tell people that because um, that's important for me. I, I really think that the things of the spirit are so important mm-hmm. for Black folk. And um, so Absolutely. that's a little bit about my, my faith background and journey. I'm just a through and through church girl. That's it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. You know, I, one of the things I I love that you just did there is that you um, that you just gave some shout outs one to our you know to our family members to our, to our grandparents and the significant That's role it. that they have in shaping us, but also to the to Pentecostalism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think um, as, as hearing you say that, particularly as an academic, is so important and so powerful because it's often a, a part of the Christian tradition that is, I think, disrespected and disregarded. Um, it and really is. Absolutely. And, um, oh, and so, I mean, so many ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, can, can you talk about how you how you've negotiated that as right. an academic who is empowered by the spirit? So um, everything that you just said is is so on point, right? Um, the idea that um, Pentecostalism is low church, right? By which people mean that um, they think of it as um, very emotional, um, very charismatic, right? But in terms of having a systematic theology, um, it, it's often not thought of that way. And there are very few scholars, I think, regardless of whatever their own personal background. Um, who would sort of claim Pentecostalism as their home, but but I claim it as as my own, my home and my theological background. Um, so what people would often say is like, oh well, don't don't get the learning and forget your burning, right? And say, like, okay, well you can have all of that. It's, right, it's not an right. either or. Um, I, I have yeah. four earned degrees. I, I have a PhD. I'm a full professor. I, I'm a dean. I, I have whatever academic mm-hmm. credentials you want to suggest in this world are. Significant academic credentials, but mm. but let me tell you what this Pentecostal mm. heritage provided for me. It provided a space mm. where the things of the spirit, uh, a pneumatology, we would call it, were taken very very seriously. Mm. And so if we believe in the triune person of God, if we believe in God, the creator and God as son, and then God as Holy Spirit, 
why does the Holy Spirit get treated like a redheaded stepchild, right? And so um, watching Mm -hmm. and learning and growing Mm -hmm. and the environment in which I was in, in which wonder working power, the things of the spirit, the signs and the wonders, um, the miracles were all just a part of our everyday life. And so I take Mm -hmm. it very seriously. And I always make sure that people who come out of these faith traditions know that there are also scholars who are coming out of these traditions, who are coming out of these little tiny storefront churches, who are coming out of these very humble beginnings. And I try to bless my origins and those are my origins. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's so beautiful. Yeah. You're talking about lifting up your origins. I'm curious about, um, you know, what, you know, why in my grandmother's house at this time? um, um, And yeah, yeah, why, why was that really important for you to lift up? Uh, this the theology of Black women and f- foremost your grandmother. Can you speak yes. to us about that and why? Sure. Why does book matter? Sure. So, so three reasons, right? I can tell you exactly why now. So one is um, my grandmother was a member of the mother's board. So within holiness Pentecostal traditions, you might have a mother's board. These are older black women in the congregation and they had such amazing wisdom to impart. But what I was also witnessing was a theological framework, right? So the why now for me is as a womanist theologian, I want it to be very clear that this isn't just about kind of, you know, those those wise stories, but this is actually about a formational theology. They had a theological mm-hmm. framework. And so I am interested in the project of recovery. What are the tools for our survival and thriving that come out of Black women's experiences and that form our theology? And so in the book, I'm writing about soteriology, which is the doctrines about salvation. I'm writing about pneumatology, which is about the Holy Spirit. I'm writing about eschatology, which is about end times. And so even though our grandmamas and them wouldn't have used words like soteriology or eschatology, they were still imparting to us a rich theology. And I wanted to name that. And I want us to be clear that these tools, this, this raw material that they gave to us are theological tools. And then the why now for me is also um, a celebration of the Black Black church and all of its richness, a reminder that we have been here for literally over 400 years, that from the hills and the hollers and the the little, the brush arbors, that the Black church has made such a rich contribution to what American Christianity looks like, and that we have to really recognize that. So I'm really trying to deal with this um, for me as a scholar on a scholarly level, but also how you make that accessible to people. And so that is what I think in my grandmother's house is about an accessible everyday womanist theology for those who want to take seriously the wisdom that we've inherited, the gifts and the tools that we've inherited that we don't name in our formal theological mm-hmm. academies. Just now, uh, Dr. Pierce, that terminology that you just used, that accessible, everyday womanist theology, if you could, can you just, can you unpack that piece by piece? I feel like I know exactly what you're talking about, but but you know, we should make the implicit explicit, right? Let's let's make it plain. Could you, could you unpack that? 
Sure. So, so this is one of the examples that I use in, in the book. Um, mm-hmm. so what, what is salvation, right? So we often hear in our church circles about salvation, being saved, being born again. We point to the scriptural passages that talk about salvation. So, so this is the doctrine of soteriology. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I learned, not only in my grandmother's house, but walking around this world as a black woman in this black woman's body is that right. conversation conversations about salvation cannot, in fact, were never meant to be limited to the individual. Am I saved? Right? That that that's a question that we're, um, are you saved? And, and so in my tradition, are you saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, and fire baptized? Right? Th- those are the questions. But those are individualistic questions. Questions, right? So what I'm learning and what I teach and what womanist theology helps me to unpack is that does it mean anything if I'm okay, but my sister over here is struggling? Right? Like, is that God's will for, for you to be so individualistic that you basically have a little personal pocket, Jesus, that you, you know, you walk around with you, right? But your community is in peril. So, so, so the, the scripture talks to us about a God who is willing to say, no, 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 if any of my sheep are in danger, right? So a more holistic understanding of soteriology is to ask the question in community, not are you saved, but are you safe? And, and that's the question that I ask and I interrogate in my book. The question of, are you safe? Are our sisters safe? Are our brothers safe? Are our little black children in our community safe? Because if they are not safe, you can't have a soteriological conversation when people are hungry, when people don't even have access to clean water, right? And so trying to make soteriology accessible is to remind people that this isn't just a conversation about heaven or hell or where you go when you die, but it is a question for the here and the now. Are you safe? Are those who are experiencing domestic violence safe? Are our children safe when they go to schools? And I don't just mean safe as in, you know, are our bullets, are they dodging bullets? Because that, that certainly is a question in some of our communities. But literally, if we're talking about our children in schools, where white supremacy meets them, right? It makes them unsafe. It makes their experiences unsafe. And so I want us to ask a different set of questions when we're talking about salvation. What if the most steadfast faith you'll ever encounter comes from a Black grandmother? Born on a former cotton plantation and having fled the terrors of the South, Yolanda Pierce's grandmother raised her in the faith inherited from those who were enslaved. Now, in the pages of In My Grandmother's House, Black Women, Faith, and the Stories We Inherit, Pierce reckons with that history, building an everyday womanist theology rooted in liberating scriptures, experiences in the Black church, and truths from Black women's lives. Pierce tells stories that center the experiences of those living on the underside of history, teasing out the tensions of race, spirituality, trauma, freedom, resistance, and memory. The divine has been showing up at the kitchen tables of Black women for a long time. It's time to get to know that God. Get your copy of In My Grandmother's House now at broadleafbooks.com backslash In My Grandmother's House. Or and you know what's wonderful thing about Facebook? What? Because, you know, I don't fool with Facebook like that. <laughs> well, you know what you can find on Facebook? You can find Truth's Table Black Women's Discipleship Group. Oh, that's right. That is one good thing about Facebook. (laughs) Absolutely. Look, sisters, we have started 
the Choose Table Black Women's Facebook Discipleship Group. So all you got to do is go to facebook.com slash truthstable, like our page. Yes, yes, yes. Go to our group and join. You got to answer three questions. Come one on. of them One of them questions is, are you a black woman? Come, Come on, on y'all. Decency in order. We made it very Decency easy in order now. Decency in order. <laughs> answer those three questions and then agree to the rules. That's all. And then you'll get admitted into the discipleship group. And we are going to have a good time in that group growing in the Lord and getting to know each other. So join us today, facebook.com slash truth table. And welcome back to the table. We are here with Dr. Pierce. And uh, my goodness, you said so much just about how um, unpacking and challenging and pushing back on our individualistic, I'd say westernized, I would say even say, uh, understanding yes. of salvation, right? Where it's it's just that we're not only Absolutely. saved unto God individually, but collectively we are saved unto people, right? Um, and unto yes. our people. And what does it mean for our people to be safe um, and to actually care about their safety and their flourishing and their thriving? Uh, and yes. so I, I'm curious, just from reading in my grandmother's house, there is just so much meat in this book. And I'm wondering what were, uh, what were your, maybe the highlights or the favorite parts about writing the book? And what were the hardest uh, parts mm -hmm. of the book for you to write? So for me, the highlight mm -hmm. of writing um, the book, it was just thinking about the story, some of which I had not thought of in a very long time. And also, you know, the excitement I think you have as a writer when you imagine who your audience is on the other side. And so I was really, really hoping that there were going to be um, folks on the other side of this book. Some of them would be elders in our community, our, our mothers, our grandmothers. And so I recorded the audio book because my aunties and them said, well, I listen to books in the car. I was like, yes, ma'am. So, so I recorded the audio book because I was like on the other side of this, you're, you're excited to think that someone is reading, someone's listening, um, someone's seeing mm -hmm. you and, and hearing you and hearing back from readers saying, this is the church I grew up in, like the, knowing it in their heart and in their spirit. And, you know, hearing back from black women saying, you know, wow, you know, I hadn't thought about these things coming out of our own theology, emerging out of our own experiences. And so that's exciting when you think that you may have written something that touches people's lives, that um, meets them where they are, and that also maybe encourages them to, to think more and to want to read more, um, particularly in theology. Um, the hardest part about writing a book or writing this particular book for me was that um, I chose mm. to end the book on a very somber note. And, and I won't say too much more because I want people to read it, but I chose to end it on, on a somber note. And um, I, I remember my editor said to me, well, you know, do, do you want to kind of go full circle and leave with something more uplifting? And, and the answer to that was no. And the reason why is simply because <laughs> this, um, you know, we, we don't we don't always have to end on the happy note we we don't always have to mm. close the gap so so part of mm -hmm. of life and and living if you live long enough is that um, heartache and pain and tragedy and despair will meet you and that sometimes yes. you just have to sit with God in those hard places and so That's I it. wanted to say to people this is a hard place I'm sitting with God in hard places I, I sit with mm. God all the time in hard places and that we shouldn't immediately say, oh, but what, what's, what's the happy thing? S sometimes you just have to sit in that hard place and just imagine that God will meet you there. 
And so that was a hard decision for me to make, but I made it because I really wanted to be true to the story that I'm trying to tell people about what it means to walk faithfully with God. I don't have all of the answers. I don't have the happy ending. I don't have the cliched, okay, and then everything, and they all live happily ever after. What in fact I have is that Every day I get up and I say, I'm going to be faithful to the calling that God has placed on my life day in and day out, good and bad. You can still have the joy of the Lord. And so my students laugh at me because they're like, Dean, you're always happy. I said, no, no, no. That's the joy of the Lord. So let's be quite clear. The joy of the (laughs) Lord is my strength, right? And so what you see and the smile and me seeing y'all, that's the joy of the Lord. But the reality is that we all live in those hard times and, and we have to sit with God and, and deal with the reality of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, as I was listening to you just now, Dr. Pierce, I was thinking to myself, I wonder, I wonder if it, to have true joy and to understand it, this gift that is given by the Lord also requires you to be honest about what is broken, mm-hmm. what is jacked up, for it not to mm. be delusion or superficial happiness, right? Mm. For it to be actually joy, it exists and lives within the really hard Places. Absolutely, and I and I appreciate your decision to to end the book. I mean, your, the, the end of your book is not the end of our story. That's, <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. It continues. Oh, the story so continues. There is something about this. I, I feel like there's a there's a uh, there's a need or a demand sometimes mm-hmm. for particularly for Black women to give people a happy ending. Yes. Um, and uh, <laughs> like 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 you know, I, I can think about being on so many panels, or people will ask the question of like. Well, what are you hopeful are you for? <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, that's about it. Everything else is jacked up. And this ritual is going to keep on being like that, you know. Rise on King Jesus. Yeah, that's about it. It's terrible. Um, but but I am so grateful for your decision mm-hmm. to be persistent and sticking to that. And when you have joy, I think it allows you to tell the truth. Tell the truth. Yes. And that's yes. something that you do in this book. You you actually, uh, you you get into conversation with elements of grandmama's theology mm-hmm. that that grip you and parts that you want to be ungripped from. <laughs> and right. I actually think, you know, particularly the kind of the history of this black and African culture is one that is hierarchical. So mm-hmm. talk to me about the permission to do that. Mm-hmm. The permission to, that. to critique and to love. Because some people have to throw everything out. You right. don't do that. Right. <laughs> what does right. it mean to be able to critique and to love grandmama's tradition, grandma's theology. Mm So uh, I want to respond to two things you just said. The the first one is that this need sometimes that particularly Black women feel to wrap it up with a bow and, and make it look pretty right. and the happy ending. And I think that so many of us, because we face the caricature and the stereotype of the angry Black woman, right? We we overcompensate. And so, you know, smile and joy and hope and and all of those things are are wonderful. Um, and, and I say to people, I'm a profoundly angry Black woman. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm just running out there running people over, right? And I can still have the joy of the Lord. But but if we are taking seriously what is happening in our world, if you don't feel a prophetic rage in your spirit, then you're not paying attention. And so Baldwin tells us that, like, if, you are, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And, and so because we want to overcompensate for that, sometimes we just do that happy ending thing. And I didn't want to do that. Um, but to your second question, 
I want to be able to critique and love at the same time and to hold that tension and comment. And there was much that I learned at my grandmother's knee, much that I learned in that Holiness Pentecostal storefront church, much that I have learned in the church that I have loved. It has equipped me. It has saved me. It has given me a language and a vocabulary. It is in the midnight hour. Y'all know what I mean. And the hours when you you need to call on someone, I have a yes. language I can call on God. And that's very, very real. But I can also critique where it has fallen short. I can critique the ways in which the legalism, the policing of Black women's bodies, the, the assumptions about who we should serve and how we should serve, um, that, that, that grip that it has had on me and on others, um, particularly that certain kind of legalism that you face in these particular traditions, um, I can critique that and I can leave that behind. And so I understand a God who is much bigger, um, much greater, more loving. God, God really just is not interested at all in um, how long my skirt is or is not. I just don't, God just doesn't seem to be invested in that. Mm-hmm. And um, and yet the God who commands us to love justice, to, to do the right thing, right? To love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so I want to encourage people, which is why I dedicated this book to the remnant um, who are living mm-hmm. within the tensions of the yes. beauty of their faith on one hand and the traditions that they've inherited on the other hand, and to say, we can let go of some mm-hmm. things. Uh, mm-hmm. We can let go of things that are mm-hmm. harming us, uh, things mm-hmm. that are somehow in our spirit telling us that we are lesser than who we are. We can let mm-hmm. go of the things that are destructive um, to, to the, our beauty and, and to our affirmation, mm-hmm. and we can still mm-hmm. hold on to something and that it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so if, if this book in any small ways gives someone permission to do so, then then my labor isn't in vain to say you can hold on to the best of your faith, right? Um, to the God you can call on in good times and bad, but you can also let go of anything that tells you you are less than um, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God. Amen, Dr. Pierce. Amen. I love that. And, you know, redemptive critique lives in the cradle of love. It really does. And so, and I think that you hold that tension so beautifully um, in this book and you articulated it just just marvelously just now. Um, And I I do want to go to a little redemptive critique um, (laughs) in the book. It's a tradition. I always got to read the author's words back to the author. (laughs) Yes, bring it, bring it. I love it. I love it. Here's my paper book. I got my paper book. Y'all know I believe in a paper Bible, a paper book, but yeah. So the the Lord's here working on me, my legalistic ways, but I'm like, I need my paper bottle. So anyway, <laughs> okay. I still can't do it electronically. I still have to hold it in my hand. See, I'm not the only one. See, I'm not the only one. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm not mad at either of you all. You know, we we've we've got we got issues that try to hold on to us, so we need a Bible that we can hold on to. So you can go on here. That's right. So. <laughs> I'm reading from the chapter Tender Love. Which to me, to, I'm not gonna sing, but it did take me back to you know. You, I, I hope it took you, you back. Know, I hope it took you, you back. I was supposed to take you back. I ain't gonna sing. I ain't gonna sing. Okay, so <laughs> so there's an excerpt. Honestly, I'm kind of like this is a long one, but I just feel like I gotta read it because I think it's just really yes, important. And whatever, y'all just gonna sit and listen. Okay. <laughs> um, I, mean, I could. I mean, I really, I could stop at the question. Really, and, I, and we could just unpack that because it's so rich. And I just hope I don't cry. But let me see. Let me go ahead and read. Let me go ahead and read. Um, my, uh, in my book, 
it's page 93. Um, and it starts with this piercing question. Does God love black women? Statistics reveal the crushing inequality that marks Black women's lives in the United States. More than one quarter live in poverty, a rate more than double that of their white counterparts. Black babies face double the risk of dying before their birthdays as white babies do. And Black women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. Black women are significantly more likely to be the sole wage earner in their households, to never marry at all, to suffer divorce, or to be widowed young. Black women, even the most educated, struggle with housing insecurities at high rates and significant wage disparities. Black women are incarcerated at twice the rate of other women and face higher rates of death from treatable and preventable diseases. Despite pursuing post-secondary education at the highest rates in the nation, becoming entrepreneurs and business owners in unprecedented numbers, and finally breaking through corporate, ecclesial, and academic glass ceilings, all the ceilings, y'all. Okay. Black women still face underemployment, poverty, disease, and loneliness. Mm. Black women are still paid 62 cents for every dollar that a white man makes. And yet black women are among the most faithful and religious Americans by any measure. We attend church more frequently than people of any other race and more frequently than black men. We pray more, give more, and serve more. We open the doors of the church, clean the bathrooms, then close the doors of the church. With membership that is on average 85% female, black churches are Across the nation, rely on our tithes and our offerings to literally keep the lights on. We consistently indicate that faith is the most important aspect guiding decisions in our daily lives. So, how can we reconcile the stark con- contrast between Black women's material existence and our demonstrated love for God and faithfulness to God's people? I have never doubted, not even once, that the Black women in my life truly love God with all their might. I have sometimes doubted, however, whether God loves these Mm. faithful Black women in return, even accepting the theological tenet that it rains on the just and unjust, that bad things happen to good people. I could not understand why such a disproportionate share of suffering seemed to be the lot of Black women. Why did it appear that the more faithful a Black woman was in her service to God, the more she suffered? Mm. I was not allowed to voice such questions as a child. To question God's love and God's faithfulness was to be pointed to the sacrificial work on the cross. Of course, I was told God loves us. Just look at the sacrifice of God's only son. I was reminded that no matter the material conditions of black life, God's steadfast love can never be in doubt. Still, I had questions that I dared not speak. In the space of so much suffering, pain, and loss in black women's lives, where was God? And I'm going to end it there. I could have kept reading. But my goodness, mm. Dr. Pierce, I mean, that portion of the book just, whoo, I just saw myself in all of the stats and the receipts that you laid out um, so perfectly. And I'm I'm wondering, like, can you speak to our sisters at the table who are also like with yes. sitting down with hands raised at the table right now and like, uh, that's me. And I'm asking that question. Where is God? Does God love black women? What say you to our sisters at the table? Yeah. So that that was so hard to write because I'm writing about me. You all, all of us, right? The, this is our reality. Um, and I wanted to write it 
in particular as, um, let me put it this way, as a Black woman who has made some significant achievements, right? So so, so I have shattered some glass ceilings, yes. right? I, I am the first woman to serve as dean in my school's 150-year history. I, I have done the things that I was supposed to do. And I still yes. have some questions for God, right? And so I wanted to pose it saying, okay, first of all, I wanted to tell all of my sisters who are reading it that you're not alone with these questions and yeah. that you can yeah. actually voice them. Because what I think some of us are afraid of is to even ask the question, right? Why why have I done everything that the church told me that I was supposed to do, but I'm still by myself. I'm still single. I'm 40 years old. I've never had children. Be faithful to God. Okay, I'm faithful, but the biological clock says you're out of time, right? Or or my sisters who are saying, I did everything that I was supposed to do. Went to every prenatal visit, took every vitamin, did walk, jog, and, and, and my baby is still sick or or dies. And so I wanted to give all of us permission to say, God is big enough to hold our questions. And God is also big enough to hold our doubts, right? We, we don't want to talk about doubts, but, but God is big enough to hold our doubts and to really put like in, in print, but, but to really put on the table, God, we are pleading this is a plea. This this is my heart song yes. because the the truth of the matter is is that we don't have answers to many of these questions, right? But I wanted to write them. Right. I wanted to say these are the questions I share, and to say you are loved mm-hmm. even with your doubts and your fears and your questions. That God is not going to yeah. abandon you because you dare say to God, "Where are you when I'm suffering?" And so we love to read Job and we love to talk about Job, right? And and Job mm-hmm. it, within the scripture text is actually a poem. It was written as a poem, right? And and so we use that to work on theodicy, this this question of where is God and when people are, are suffering. And I wanted to give Black women permission to say, God is not afraid of you or your questions. And I had the moment and I've had moments in my life where I said, God, do you love Black women? Do, do you love the, the, mm-hmm. your your own creation? You created me female, you created me black, and then you set me in mm-hmm. a world and a world in which all of these social and political and, and health mm-hmm. determinants say you're less than. And I refuse to believe mm-hmm. that I am less than. And so I ask God these questions. Mm-hmm. And the only answer is to rest in God's promise that I have that not only am I fearfully and wonderfully made, but that God loves me in return. And that as a beloved daughter, a beloved child of God, that God is also listening. God is going to hear my prayer and that I might not even understand the answers, but God is hearing my prayer. Um, but I, I really wanted us to make it clear that this is not about, oh, so, oh, you know, the black woman who lives over there versus the black woman who lives over there. I'm that black woman, right? And, and, and these are my stories. These are my struggles. This, this is my loneliness. This is my heartbreak, right? And to say, it is here for all of us and I am not alone. Um, and so I thank you because that chapter for me, Tender Love, and hopefully it did evoke a song, um, or two for, for some of you who may know this. And if you don't know, okay, then you have a reason um, to discover it. We date ourselves. That's all right. We date ourselves. Um, To say that the tender love I have often found around these issues have been within the company of other Black women. 
um, yeah. that that tenderness that other Black women afford me um, to say that I, I love you. I'm, I'm here for you. I, I will be there. I'll be the shoulder that you can cry on. The, the tender love I receive to hear another Black woman say, I see you. That's the tender love. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for yeah. your tender love, Dr. Pierce. Thank you for writing that. I mean, it, it was powerful. And I, I felt very seen by that, that chapter in particular. Yeah. I mean, it 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 make it it, it makes it um, obvious why you know the prophets will cry out how long, and I how think long, of that as you talk about the promises that God has extended to to us, but specifically as we talk about extended to Black women, you reflect on the promise and then you go, how long? How long, <laughs> how long until how it's long? fulfilled? How long until it manifests? And so I um, I thank you for really yeah writing about that the. Uh, the odyssey, the struggle, yeah, the yeah. suffering. Because yeah. I think that's that's where we hit the wall. Mm-hmm. We hit the wall mm-hmm. in the suffering. And um, and I think that's also why grandmother has such credibility. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Because she has the credibility. Grandma been of through mm-hmm. <laughs> she's been through something. In no way to give honor or or to ascribe goodness to suffering in and of itself. Uh-huh. Suffering of yep. itself is a bad thing. Right. But there is no doubt. There is a credibility that befalls those Absolutely. who have suffered. And mm-hmm. so when they speak about holding on and when they speak about God holding on to them mm-hmm. and when they speak about just being still and trusting, they're not speaking as people who don't know about deep pain, not even past tense, but like presently, like presently in their bodies. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so the credibility of Big Mama's theology, can you talk a little bit about even as people learn more and as we shift from generation to generation, and even as we have these kind of Christian continuums of conservative and progressive thought, help us to see why grandma's theology has this credibility and Mm -hmm. has something for us today. I love that language of credibility because I think that's exactly what it is that I've been through something. Mm -hmm. So I really was trying to reflect exactly that something generational, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I was raised by my grandparents, but whether it was Mm -hmm. grandma, big mama, auntie, whatever, whoever you have in, in your life. And I really wanted to reflect on this idea of generations. So, so here, here's my thing. I love sometimes hearing millennials talk about themselves. So um, I'm going to make fun of the millennials for, for, a moment. And the reason I'm going to make fun of the millennials, I'm going to drag y'all. The reason I'm going to make fun of the millennials, because the oldest of the millennials are now in their forties. They got kids and mortgages. And somehow y'all, us millennials, pay your bills. Millennials are old now. Okay. We have a whole other generation. We got got this student loan debt, debt, Dr. Pierce. Look at All of us. This government won't want to go. Okay. So I want to make fun of it just for a second, because the only thing that I, I really, really was making fun of is this idea that there's something new under the sun. There's nothing new under the nothing. sun. And, yeah. and so we need to access some generational wisdom. We are a culture that actually idolizes youth. 
right? We, we, especially in, in our churches, let, let's be clear. Um, we want to know what the next big thing is. We, we want to know, well, what are the young people thinking, right? We want to know how do we get the young people into the church, right? <laughs> we, we have all kinds of questions, but, but in our larger society, particularly a Western society, we idolize youth. We, we want to, we all want to look young. We all want to stay young. We want to stay young and active. The right. beauty products are, you know, how you going to get rid of those wrinkles? How are you going to keep it young and keep it fresh? All of those things are a part of our culture. What I wanted to simply <laughs> say was that um, in our quest, right, to be young and to maintain our youthfulness, we can't forget the wisdom of the ancestors, our forebearers, and those Absolutely. who have come before us. And we can't forget them, right? Literally, like we just actually cannot forget them. And so mm-hmm. there, there, there is the, I have been where you've been, um, the kind of wisdom that comes with the grandmamas and big mamas and the yeah. church mamas and all of them. Yeah. There is the, you, ma'am, you're not facing nothing new. You know, um, we want to go to them for relationship <laughs> advice. Yeah. They'd be like, listen, let me tell, they could tell us some stories. And we would, if they were to truly tell us okay. their truths, we would sit there like, whoa, like how, what, what big mama went where and did what with who we we wouldn't even know how to handle their (laughs) stories right so that means that there's nothing new and so how do we when they're just human right every generation thinks it's invented sex like seriously every generation thinks it's invented sex i'm like how do you think you got here i I don't i don't know how you think you got here but somehow somewhere some years ago somebody made some decisions right and so um, this, this, this generational wisdom that can come to us can be of a help to us. Um, And and I wanted to really also, this is important to me, call our attention to the ancestral. One of the things I want to argue, and I argue this as a scholar, one of the, the worst results of white supremacy is that Black people really denigrated their connection to the ancestors. That in um, Christianity, for Black Christians in particular, they saw ancestral reverence and connection to the ancestors as something um, that was African and so therefore afraid of it, right? Um, and I, I, I want us to say, uh, we have to rebuke this. This is just exactly, let me just put it plainly. We have to rebuke this. Um, ancestral reverence is important. We, on one hand, glorify a scriptural text of um, a group of people, not our own. And the entire text from beginning to end, the Bible, is about, um, remember where you come from. Don't forget your ancestors. When you get to the new place, remember who where you came from. Um, build some stone, get some stones. Remember those. Right, like the entire Bible is about remembering your ancestors. That's that's what it is for the children of Israel. And then black people get real nervous when we talk about remembering our ancestors. And so I want to give us a place to call on our ancestors. And I mean this broadly. Unfortunately, because of the ravages of chattel slavery, some of us might not know our family tree. So we might not know who our actual bloodline ancestors are. But you all, we get to call Fannie Lou Hamer. We get to call on Harriet Tubman. We get to call Frederick Douglass, right? We get to call Nat Turner. These are our ancestors. And so 
when I'm talking about the grandmamas and them, I'm talking about our ancestral heritage. We, we, we are not in this alone. We, we weren't meant to survive, but our survival is connected to the fact that a hundred years ago, there were people praying for us and they would never live to see us. So, so this, this grandmother notion is about the generations that have come before us and that we get to honor them. In the Bible, in Hebrews, we call it that great cloud of witnesses, right? We, we call it that roll call, and we, we call David's name, and we call the lineage of Jesus, right? I'm saying to Black folk, call on your own roll call, your great cloud of witnesses, your honor roll of faith, right? That that grandfather, that, that church deacon, um, yeah, yeah. because we want to honor the contribution that they have made. We would not be here if some grandmother somewhere had not prayed for us. Absolutely. 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 Beautiful. I love that. And lifting that up. Yeah. I mean, we worship the God of Sojourner Truth, the God of Ida B. Wells Barnett, the God of Anna yes. Julia Cooper. Praise God. Call the roll. Call, God. The roll. call that roll. Yes. Come on. Oh, you said we believe in the roll it. call now. Come on. We believe <laughs> in the roll call. Okay. Those names, it's absolutely. It's important. It's, it's this critical. belongs to us, too. It's you know this is critical for our survival. God is so good in that way. Um, you know, I'm going to take this in a bit of a different direction. I don't. We don't usually do this on Truth Table, you know. But there is there's a way in which Black women have been and are often subject to ridicule, oftentimes for being for doing what the church says to do: be faithful, be honorable, particularly if you're married, right? <laughs> To your husband, right? There's been a lot of scandal as of late. I'm not going to name names, but yep. there's been a big yep. scandal, a big kerfuffle. Let me say that. Um, and, um, and particularly with this this sister who is, you know, who, who was shamed and dishonored um, by her husband. Mm. And yet now she is subject to ridicule, right? Now she is subject to shame. Um, and people are making fun of her because of, the, you know, the, the, the spiritual you know, ways that she's fighting the, what she sees as a spiritual battle. I wonder, Dr. Pierce, if you can, if you could talk to uh, not only the sister, but sisters represented, uh, you know, mm-hmm. who have been um, shamed, disregarded, um, who have been maligned by our own. So these things happen mm-hmm. within our community and they happen without. Yes. And so yes. how can we, you know, from, from even from your own womanist vantage point, uh, what are the tools what are the means to come alongside, you know, um, sisters like this and sisters who are at this table right now who are suffering maybe the same um, uh, type of shame? Let, let's say let's call it what it is type of shame right now. Can you speak to them and what tools do you have to offer them? So it's such a wonderful question. So um, I live on Twitter. Twitter uh, is just my second home. And, um, <laughs> no, and so I've been um, tweeting really about how it has been grieving my spirit, yes. the ways mm-hmm. in which the larger society, including our own, um, ridicule yes. Black women, make yes, fun yes, of yes. Black women as if somehow we don't hurt, as if somehow we don't bleed when we are cut. Mm-hmm. And um, this this stigma, this stigma, it's, it's shame, it's ridicule, right? And one of the yes. things that you have to do is to remind people that you cannot be an agent of the enemy and trying to free someone 
Okay. Let me let me let me unpack that. Right. So there Can are sisters who Just are you can't be an agent of the enemy and try and free someone. So there are sisters making fun of another sister because what they're trying to do, they think, is to like, you know, get her straight. But you can't be, you can't free someone, right? Using the tools of the enemy. And that's exactly what's happening is that we are using these tools, mockery, shame, embarrassment, to, to suggest that we're trying to free, you can't free anyone like no. that, right? You you love people to wholeness, yeah. right? Yeah. You 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 can't mock them to wholeness. Yes. It, it's the way in which our culture fat shames, right? Mm. You you're not gonna mm. shame somebody. To, you you love people to wholeness. You love them to wellness. She is hurting and other sisters, yes. and all of us have been in something. So, so I also need all of us to take a step back. We have all this came to public light. Sure. Many of us suffer private shames. So public or private, we have all been in situations in which stigma and shame has grieved our spirit. And the only solution to that is to hold the space for the person, to love them, to offer to to be someone Mm -hmm. who can walk with them Mm -hmm. through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to mock them. You're not going to ridicule them and then expect them to be free. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't work that way. And so I think mm-hmm. I need us to reflect on all of the times that we have faced a similar situation or something that has caused us very similar feelings, but it just wasn't in public. Um, none of, none of us are going to go through this life without feeling shame, with, without feeling heartbreak, without feeling pain. Um, and so would that we were to enclose a circle of prayer and love and support, and we are here for you. And also we, we also need to humble ourselves because here's really what, what I need to say and controversial as it may be, we don't have the answer to this particular sister's crisis. Yeah. Yeah. We think we have the answer, right? People are like, oh, you know, if some man does, does you wrong, leave him. That might not be the answer to the question. It's not our, mm-hmm. it's not our dilemma to solve. Yes. They have to solve their dilemma. Um, sometimes we give mm-hmm. advice when we don't have all the information. Sometimes we give advice mm-hmm. um, because we think that that's what we should do. But the, per- the person has to work it out for themselves. So instead mm-hmm. of being so quick to offer advice, instead of so quick to be said, well, I would do this and I would do that. Ma'am, you don't even know the half of it. Um, and you don't know what you would do. Um, one of the things I actually talk about in the book is about so this true. question of leaving and remaining. Um, I describe a situation where I had to make a choice about leaving a church or remaining in a church. And that was a very, very tough decision um, for me to make, right? Um, Someone outside of that situation could have all kinds of advice. Oh, well, no, you should leave. If that church, that church, they're being crazy. You should go ahead and leave that church. But what if God has told you to stay? Someone else could say, oh, well, you, you, you need to go ahead and stay and you need to go and... But, but what if God has told me to leave? So, so what I'm saying yeah. is, is that the answers are complicated. It's a complex situation. Yeah. So let's love people. Right. Um, let, let's let's protect people. Let's form a hedge of protection around them. Let's support them. But let's not pretend that we've always made the best decision. Yeah. Let's not pretend that we haven't experienced shame and mockery and derision. Let's not pretend we've always made the right decisions. Mm-hmm. There's a God on the other side of our choices, even when they're bad choices. Yeah. There's a God on the other side of our choices loving us. Why don't we do the same thing? Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Thank you. 
Thank you. Just just thank, thank you for giving some of that grandmother wisdom okay. to us, right? Because right. some, you know, sometimes when we have had uh, the blessing of grandmother's theology shape us and reshape us, her voice sometimes pops out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if even if our voice happens to have a PhD behind it or not, that voice, yeah, that grandmother's theology comes Ooh. out. And it helps to get us all together. <laughs> That you look in the mirror one day, you're like, Oh, I'm looking like my mama. Right. Like, you, you know, the whole you say something one day, I'm like, Am I my grandmother? Did she just, who said that? And you realize it's you because you live long enough, you experience something. But I really do mean that God is on the other side of our choices yes. good choices, bad choices, complicated choices. Um, we will make some hard choices yeah. um, in our lives as Black women. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. and they're not choices that maybe will be supported by our denominations mm-hmm. or our churches or even our families. And God is still there saying, but I'm going to love you. Mm-hmm. Even if that was not God's choice for us, mm-hmm. imagine mm-hmm. that. God is mm-hmm. still saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to love you. If that's that's all that we can do for one another. That, that must be what we, if we take seriously this commandment to love one another, mm-hmm. that's what that love is. That's beautiful. It is indeed a gospel gift that God loves us beyond the limitations of, of our own choices, yes. of our own decisions made mm-hmm. based on our own you know, trauma, vulnerability, whatever, our stuff. We got lots of stuff. <laughs> got our, All stuff. Our, stuff. Our, our, limited, our limited knowledge at the time. Okay. I'm just so grateful for that gospel grace that is greater, is greater than our choices. They can even clean them up. <laughs> Ooh, we have some mess that God has cleaned up for real, for real. It's the only way. Yeah, it's yeah. the only way. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way. If he don't do it, it ain't gonna get done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dr. Pierce, can you this is this has been so beautiful. Can you talk to our sisters at the table? Tell them how they can buy your book. Tell us what you got yeah. going on. This is your time to just share and tell the people. What you want them to know? Well, as I mentioned, Twitter is my digital home, so come follow me on Twitter at Ryan Pierce. Um, I is equal parts Beyonce and Jesus and current events, and um, we just have a good time. And I really try and keep it positive and love on people um, via Twitter. You can buy my book wherever books are sold. If you have a black bookstore, an independent bookstore, buy it there. But listen, y'all, Amazon is real. And so um, Amazon is real and sister has bills. And so, yes, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, uh, wherever books are sold. I, my, my plug, though, really is, is that I am honored to serve as the dean of the Howard University School of Divinity. And um, I encourage any of you who have a calling to theological education mm-hmm. to consider theological education, whether that's at Howard, which is an amazing place, or whether that's somewhere else. Um, I believe God has truly called called us to study, to show ourselves approved. And so we need more people in our churches, whether they are clergy, lay people, church mothers, whomever, um, that theological education is available and accessible. And so you can find us at divinity.howard.edu. Would love, love, love you to check us out. There are six, only six accredited historically black theological institutions in the nation. They include the Howard University School of Divinity, Shaw, ITC, Payne, Virginia Union, uh, Proctor, (laughs) and... Oh, and Hood. Yes, I did it, and Hood. Um, So those are the six, and I said accredited, 
I said accredited because these are accredited degrees that you receive from these institutions. So mm-hmm. Twitter and Amazon.com and divinity.howard.edu. And it's always a joy. You can find my writing um, lots of places mm-hmm. from Sojourners to Time Magazine and um, my other book, Hell Without Fires. And um, it's just a pleasure to be with my sisters at the table. Oh, we are so glad to have you, Dr. Pierce. Thank you for sitting at the table with us, Dr. Pierce. And of course, we want to thank our sisters for sitting at the table with us, too. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about Behind the Book in My Grandmother's House with Dr. Yolanda Pierce. And we will see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.